Hello and welcome to the AC Podcast. My name is Troy. I'm here with Steve. Hello. We got another variation of podcast hosts for you guys today. <laughs> I was away on vacation and so I had some time to really kind of listen, catch up on my podcasts and I definitely listened to you guys talk. It was an excellent podcast. I thoroughly enjoyed it. And Oh, thank yeah. you. Thank you. <laughs> you're you're putting me and Eddie out of a job. <laughs> or just putting you deeper into a vacation. It's, it's, <laughs> That's right. You know, however you want to look at it. But yeah, before we get into this topic, just a couple of uh, interesting notes we'd like to make just because we've spoken about on previous podcasts. Uh, first things first, it is a very proud time to be a Jamaican because mm-hmm. if you watched one of the most recent women's sprinting trials with, you know, some of the best that you've seen at the Olympics, uh, the Jamaicans took the top three spots again so the common (laughs) phrase is one two three jamaica and in a shocking situation shikari richardson got ninth dead last completely last and there's all kinds of stuff going on you know saying she was being prideful and pride comes before the fall and all this sort of stuff i was like Mm. okay guys chill out she lost um she admitted that she ran a bad race. Like, I mean, there's not really other, any other way you could say it. But the funniest thing I saw, someone made a comment that said, at least uh, the Olympics will understand now that uh, marijuana isn't a performance-enhancing drug. It's the complete, <laughs> it may or may not be the complete opposite. Yeah, yeah. You have to wonder, right? Hey, I got a question for you, because this is something that yeah. I sometimes wonder about myself. When you see Jamaica doing well at the Olympics or whatever, uh, whatever is going on, do you kind of do you identify with that? Do you feel a sense of pride? Oh, one thousand percent. It's I, like I love Canada. I support Canada. Um, honestly, just the same. Like mm-hmm. it's it really is is what it is. But there is a specifically when it comes to Jamaicans and sprinting. It doesn't matter what Canadian sport may be on mm. at the same time. If Jamaicans are sprinting, I'm watching Jamaica. Yeah, the the movie that really put Jamaica on the map for me was Cool Running, if you remember. That's my movie. I met those guys. Oh, did you? Yeah, in, oh my gosh. It was, it was probably almost five to eight years ago. Oh, if not more, honestly, mm. where... I was in Calgary and they were doing like the 20th anniversary. And so I got to, yeah, it would have been, oh my gosh, longer than that. It would have been around 2012, I guess. Mm. And I got to meet all the guys from, from the, from the movie and, you know, got to hear them talk about it. And, and then in Calgary, if you go to the, the famous ski lift that is just outside of Calgary heading towards Banff, they have the actual bobsled up on the hill. Uh, encased in glass and wow. the, the same bobsled from the movie. So that uh, was a very proud moment. Yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> I sometimes wonder about myself, right? Um, because I am I come from Korea, South Korea. And so whenever something happens with South Korea, some achievement that they make, I do feel a sense of pride. Um, mm-hmm. But then at the same time, I recognize that I'm a Canadian citizen, right? So I, yeah. I sometimes wonder, you know, if say Canada and South Korea had a soccer game or something like that. Um, my guess is the South Korean team will probably be a little bit better at that, but you know, who, who would I cheer for? Right. Sometimes right. I have a bit of an identity crisis moment. And so it's a, it's an interesting kind of a, kind of a thought for me. Like I've always thought I'm first and foremost, a follower of Christ, right. Son of the most high adopted into his family, destined to reign 
you know, with Jesus, his kingdom, uh, then I'm Canadian, then I'm Korean, right? Yeah. But even then, yeah. I, I just can't help myself. South Korea achieved something. I'm just like, yeah, way to go, South Korea. Like, I, yeah, feel, yeah. <laughs> I feel pride, right? Right. Oh, man, that's so good. It's definitely good to... Like I'm one of those people that I is so proudly Canadian, but I'm also at the same time one of the things that makes me proudly Canadian is how diverse we are culturally, mm-hmm. and and so I I will always be one of those people that's an advocate for people celebrating where they've come from and the fact that they get to be where they've come from in Canada. Speaking of diversity, this might be a good launching point for our discussion today because we want to talk mm-hmm. about a particular kind of diversity, right? Partic- uh, specifically in the church mm-hmm. with respect to different sort of uh, ideas that we have or yeah. uh, different doctrines and those kinds mm-hmm. of things. So, uh, you kind of brought it up with the rest of the team. So, why don't you kind of bring our listeners into this topic. Right. What we're going to chat about today is in the realm of conviction versus doctrine. I think sometimes as believers, there's different avenues that, you know, we feel compelled to or we're convicted by. And one of the challenges we have sometimes is our convictions tend to, depending on the scenario, we tend to project our convictions on other people as if it were a hard doctrinal issue or or as if it's something that is in the realm of salvation. Like if you do this or you don't do this, your salvation is on the line. And maybe one of the passages that will help guide us, I know there's there's many and we'll we'll unpack other ones today. First Corinthians 10 down at 23. Now I've heard this verse used several times to excuse certain behaviors. Um, but I'd love to you know, dialogue around this this passage and then, you know, you expound on it in other ways as we go along today. But 1 Corinthians 10, starting at 23 says, you say I'm allowed to do anything, but not everything is good for you. You say I am allowed to do anything, but not everything is beneficial. Don't be concerned for your own good, but for the good of others. So you may eat any meat that is sold in the marketplace without raising question of conscience for the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. So this is in the context of the kind of turmoil that Paul is addressing in the church in Corinth. You know, you had Gentiles joining the church now, you know, bringing all of their baggage and those kinds of things. And some think it's okay to, you know, eat food sacrificed to idols. Others are not okay with it. And then there are also, you know, in in other letters, actually, you see this tension between Jews and Gentiles. So, for example, in the letter to the Romans, you know, like, do you have to be circumcised in order order for you to be Christian? Those kinds of things, which, like, if you think about it today, it just seems a little odd in our modern sensibilities but back then those were like huge issues yep they were and you know and and i think we're we're going to continue you know the the word says there's nothing new under the sun and so as the as the world is evolving as you have different types of believers we spoke of this on on the show people that may come from a background of not knowing the lord at all some people who've come from a spiritual background you know uh, for example the new age movement mm-hmm. I think there are there's definitely got to be mm-hmm. there are guiding lines. There are very clear guiding lines as far as doctrinal things. But as we look at even in the government, certain government decisions are putting Christians in kind of this situation where they got to look at this and say, "Hmm, 
is this doctrinal or is this the conviction? For example, mm-hmm. marijuana. Marijuana is now legal. Now, growing up, we were told, you know, that we, all the signs in school, don't smoke dope, don't do this, don't do that. And it was considered illegal. And so it was very easy for people of the faith to say, hey, marijuana is not okay. You're not supposed to smoke weed. You shouldn't do this, that, and the third. Mm-hmm. But now that it's been recognized as legal, there's there's now people looking at it from the same view that people deal with alcohol yeah. and, and drinking. Mm-hmm. And so that, you know, you understand what I'm saying, Steve? Like, how, how do you... How do you tell the difference between, say, doctrinal issues versus just personal conviction issues? Yeah. Is how, that... how, what, are your, what, are, what is kind okay. of your guideline within within that realm <laughs> my guidelines <laughs> i don't know yeah are you sure you want to know my guidelines um i mean i i make light of it uh because this is a very difficult issue now before we go on though let, let's correct our course just a little bit For because sure. what is a doctrine a doctrine is just i mean in, in the simplest meaning it's a teaching Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, in our context, it's a teaching by the church, or you know, a teaching from uh, from the Bible, right? That that we have codified, or or something like that. Right. Those are called doctrines. So, if you think about it, anything can be a doctrine, and, and even the matters of behavior, right, can be a doctrine. And so, for example, right. um, there is a teaching on sexuality, and that's going to govern our behavior. You know, those right. kinds of things. So I think rather than pitting doctrine against uh, personal convictions, it might be helpful. I mean, sometimes we use this language at Apologetics Canada. It's not original to us, but we use the language of primary and secondary issues a little yes. bit more. Um, so, you know, what are primary doctrines? What are secondary doctrines? What are like I don't know, tertiary doctrines. And then there's even a technical term called adiaphora. Um, I think that's how you say it. I've always seen it written, never (laughs) heard it spoken, so I could have been butchering it. But um, it just means matters of indifference, right? Mm. But it's not always easy telling, you know, okay, what, what counts as primary issues because people will say oh these are essential issues well that doesn't do much right because you're just using different words for the same thing so okay what are essential issues Mm. but then here's the question essential to what right when i was attending biola university in one of our classes we talked a little bit about a couple of different terms these are just big fancy words for pretty simple concepts so don't get intimidated by these terms, but there is one called <laughs> salvific minimalism, and yeah. then the other side is theological minimalism. Mm. And so, what what do these mean? Salvific minimalism basically raises the question about, okay, what kinds of things do you have to affirm in order for you to be saved? And yeah. then theological minimalism asks, okay, what are the sort of the core doctrines, essential doctrines that make up Christianity, like that makes Christianity what it is, Christianity mm-hmm. and not something else. Well, for our listeners, one of the prime examples I think about is is the Pharisees. The Pharisees knew what the, the Pentateuch said. They knew, you know, that, that one of their issues, they were fo- trying to follow it to a T. But then when Jesus comes along, they denied him as the Savior. Mm-hmm. So another thing that comes up is in 2 Timothy 3.5, it's, 
having a form of godliness, but denying its power. Yeah. Have nothing to do with such people. It's this form of godliness that is a very dangerous dangerous place to be in. Yeah, and the context of that passage too is Paul is addressing false teachers, right? And he's telling Timothy, now at this point, Paul knows his time is running out. And so these are his, basically his last words to his protege, Timothy, who is serving um, in, in Ephesus. And this is, he's prepping Timothy. In the last days, you know, you will see these false teachers come, right? And and the, these men will have that this kind of external appearance of, of godliness, but they, you know, worm their way into houses of vulnerable women and they yeah. they lead them astray and all that all those kinds of things. And so this is where I get kind of a little bit concerned for myself. Sometimes I have to th- question whether I am putting my conceptions about certain doctrines before God himself. Now, mind you, doctrines about God cannot be separated from God himself in in some ways. Um, And even people who say doctrines aren't important, right? Uh, all I need is Jesus, for example. You ask them who Jesus is, they start spewing doctrine. Well, he is the son yeah. of God, and, and you know, well, you're, <laughs> you're, this is, this is doctrine, right? So, in yeah. some ways, they can't be separated, but, but I always have to remember that as, sometimes I can be so cerebral that mm. my faith life can be so cerebral, I can easily lose touch with that sort of lived aspect of it, right? Um, and, and so, and, and what's how, funny is, is, is I'm the opposite, is I can be very, lived aspect in the in the flesh boots on the ground that sort of thing that i forget to appreciate the importance of the study of doctrine and, mm-hmm. and theology and the depths of it because i mean I, I went to bible college i did yeah uh four years of four years of bible college um at a university and a, and a smaller one and i remember sitting in some of those some of the classes and you know naturally the the class that got me the most involved a lot of times had to do the ones in the realm of ethics Mm. and, you know, Christian, Christian ethics and some that, you know, I I won't say put me to sleep, but some of the ones that were a little bit harder for me to get excited about were ones that went down in the road of, of deeper doctrine and theology and that. And so I don't even want to say for the average person, just remembering that every individual, there's going to be different aspects of the faith that draw you that draw you a little more than the other, but that doesn't mean we forsake the other. We need theologians. We we need people studying uh, who are willing to pull back multiple layers of theological truths. And it's mm-hmm. and then when those two worlds collide, that's how we get palpable content. You know, like yeah. Apologetics Canada. We have a beautifully diverse team who are all learned in different areas, all experienced in different areas. But if I were to reject, you know, Steve's background or Andy's background, and they were to reject my background, then we're not actually representing the body. We are minimalizing our our reach and our influence and it, it is level to, of diversity. Yeah, it is to our detriment, right? Yeah. Um, I love what Craig Blomberg said. Um, for those of you who don't know who Craig Blomberg is, a very re- well-respected evangelical Bible commentator and scholar, 
in his commentary on 1 Corinthians, he said, Church should be a place where people gather and get along with each other who have no merely human reason for doing so. Right? That's good. And, and that's sort of my heart for the church as well. Now, uh, coming back to this idea about primary and secondary issues, right? Uh, what we There are two extremes that we want to avoid. And I think one is where, like we were saying earlier, doctrine isn't important, right? Or, you know, everything, in, in another way of putting it, everything is a secondary issue, as odd as it might seem. Um, but th- that's certainly not... Um, that's certainly not a spiritually healthy option. The other option that is not spiritually healthy is everything is a primary issue. And you Mm. see that sort of thing, especially in certain cults. In many cults, every single point of doctrine, uh, however secondary or tertiary it might seem, to them it's, it's really important. And I've heard some testimonies from former Jehovah's Witnesses, for example, something mm. uh, we would consider, I forget exactly what it was, but it was something that we would have considered, that's not even that big of a deal. But they came to the conclusion that the Watchtower Society was wrong on this, that they, they shouldn't be insisting on this in this way kind of thing. And that's what started breaking down their trust in the Watchtower Society. And they eventually later became, uh, they, they left the uh, the Watchtower Society, they left the Jehovah's Witness Church, and uh, they follow Jesus. Um, but, uh, so, so you you want to avoid either, either side. But yeah. there are... Certain things that are clearly important. What I found helpful was in reading the book Winsome Conviction by Tim Muehlhoff and Rick Langer. We invited them on our podcast months ago, um, so we'll put that up on our show notes. But they actually have this chapter called Conviction Spectrum, where they lay out what, what is the spectrum of you know, theological convictions or, or whatever convictions you have. On on this side, so you have four things. It's just imagine you're going from left to right. There's an arrow going from left to right, and there are four things along this arrow. And you start with confessional beliefs, and then you have moral mandates, and then you have values, and then you have behavior and practice. So confessional beliefs are those kinds of things that, you know, like we talked about earlier, the doctrine of the Trinity and, and, and those really key confessional beliefs that you might find in, say, uh, the Nicene Creed, right, or something mm. like that. And then you have moral mandates that flow out of it, like, you shall not put other gods before me, right? Don't Don't go worshiping idols, for example, or... There might be moral mandates about your sexuality. There might be moral mandates about loving your neighbor or loving the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and loving your neighbor as yourself or those kinds of things. And then you have values, right, in terms of, okay, like how – so what what happens is moral mandates actually, they, in Tim Muehlhoff and Rick Langer's words, they operationalize the confessional beliefs. Okay, we have the confessional belief that God is sovereign. He is the true living God. Um, how does get oper- How does that get operationalized? Okay, mm. that gets fleshed out in the commandment, don't worship idols, 
You know what I mean? Right. And then, and then other things. And, and and then other beliefs might be, confessional beliefs might be that you and I are made in the image of God. And so that gets fleshed out in the moral mandate, love your neighbor as yourself. Right. Yeah. Okay. Then that gets fleshed out in certain values in, in terms of, okay, we uh, should, you know, care for one another in very tangible ways. For example, mm-hmm. right? Make sure clothe the naked, you know, visit prisoners and those kinds of things and take care of those who are sick. Now, that can get fleshed out in terms of on this far end of that spectrum in terms of in terms of how you actually work that out, right? Yeah. And here different people with say different political views might approach it differently. Some want universal health care, um, others think no, doing it sort of, you know, the American style, right, uh, might be more effective or, or whatever, right? People differ on those yeah. kinds of issues. And and so a lot of the times you see people kind of really engaged in a heated debate on the far right side of that spectrum under behavior. Yeah. So is it universal health care or is it private health care? What is it, right? You know, those kinds of things. And so I've always found that very helpful. I think sometimes when we're looking at, you know, our, our convictions, I think we're one of the reasons we get so hung up on it, you know, sometimes when we get in our separate camps and we're like, rah, 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 it's because we've become so selfish in our convictions, mm-hmm. forgetting that it's not all about me. It's, it's not just about what I desire. It's not just about what I want. It's also about who I've been called to. I've been called to be to make fishes of men, and there's a certain group of people that I've been called to lead. That also means that there's a level of testimony mm-hmm. that I need to have in order to lead said people. For example, if I am a believer who is running a, a, a um, an Alcoholics Anonymous or an addictions counseling, it probably would be, be in my best nature not to be practicing those things. Because it's, there's a level of it where if I've been called to lead you in this or lead you from this, I got I to gotta really take a look at myself and, and, ask, and, and ask the tough questions of, can I effectively lead you if I'm still practicing in this area, mm-hmm. perhaps? You know? and, and these are all things that I feel like people got to look at you know, for themselves, but look at it for yourself, for others. Mm-hmm. And so in, in good practice, it says... You know, we can we can look at the scriptures and we can see what is permissible for me. You know, what what am I allowed to do? What was okay? What was, you know, what did scripture say about this? But I think it's also important to look at certain aspects of who was called not to, you know, and why were they called not to in, you know, whatever situation or scenario it is. And and that I think is really going to start challenging the why more than the what, because I think we get so caught up in the what and we don't really unpack the why because it's just, it's easy to keep things surface level. And if I keep it surface level, then I don't really have to worry about the conviction showing up when I start to really unfold it. Because this is, as you start to unfold it, there will be this level of die to self. Mm -hmm. And that dying to self is for the sake of relationship with Christ, but it's also for others so that they might know who Christ is. Like, why are you denying yourself this thing? Yeah. Well, because maybe I'll have more impact walking you with that 
if I'm not practicing it, even though it's not a struggle of mine. Because it's one thing to put something down when you know you're struggling with it. It's another, I'm no longer doing this. Why? Because there's people that I need to minister to who are practicing this or doing this or whatever it is. Yeah. And and I, I hear you uh, emphasizing that, again, that lived aspect of it, that relational side of it, right? And I think yeah. certainly there are times when you have to put relationship ahead of certain um, theological opinions that you might have. I think the tricky part is that, you know, a lot of times when people hold to certain theological opinion, they don't see it as an opinion. They see it as a theological, like this is a, this is a hill that they're going to die on. Right. Yeah. And, and and what's challenging about this whole question is that that line between primary and secondary or even tertiary issues, those lines are not altogether clear. And so that that's why there is so much question about because so, for some people, uh, if you're not a Calvinist, then you're not saved. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah right. Uh, thankfully, we don't in my circles, I don't have a lot of a lot of those kinds of people, but for them, that this is a really important, this is the gospel. Calvinism is the mm. gospel. Uh, and you might say the same about Ar- Arminians. Um, Armenian. And, and those kinds of things. And so that's why it gets, it gets so tough. Um, me, uh, I start from the standpoint of, okay, well, let's go back to the creeds of the early church. Like, so I, I'll probably say the Nicene Creed. Okay, this is a very good starting point, right? You you affirm the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and 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 so on. And so, um, I I start there, and then um, I I try to be a minimalist in the sense of, okay, who am I going to have fellowship with? Who can I properly call my brother or sister in the faith? When it comes to that, I'll go to the Nicene Creed, and, yeah. and I start there. But then as you kind of get into other theological issues, like in terms of, you know, is it, you know, Calvinism, Arminianism, or is it infant baptism or believer's baptism, those kinds of things, I don't die on those hills. Um, and the one story that I really appreciate is, I believe it was um, George Whitfield. I could be wrong. Somebody might be like, I, I know um, Wes knows this stuff better than me, so he might correct me later. But uh, I believe <laughs> it was George Whitfield, and he was asked about John Wesley. Uh, do you think that you're going to see John Wesley in heaven? And George Whitfield says no, and so everybody's like, well, not everybody. There, there are people in the crowd who follow John Wesley that are booing him and all that kind of stuff. And then George Whitfield follows up, says, "No, I don't think I'll see him because he's going to be so close to the throne of God, and I'll be so far back, I won't be able to see him." Mm. Right? And this is the level of respect that George Whitfield had for some somebody like John Wesley, even though they differed. Um, very significantly yeah. on the issue of, you know, uh, sovereignty, free will, those kinds of things. So yeah, this is this is a tough issue. It's not it's not always clear what's primary, what's secondary. But I think there are some. That doesn't mean that that doesn't mean there are no uh, sense in trying to 
sort out what's primary and secondary. I think we'll always have to work on that. Yeah. But I think there are certain clear things, like to what seems clear to me at least, about what's primary, yeah. um, especially with respect to our salvation, like you know the doctrine of. Uh, um, for example, the doctrine of the existence of God, it seems pretty important to me. Uh, so, sorry, it, it seems pretty essential for salvation because <laughs> if you don't believe that God exists, right, then, yeah. then you're doomed to those kinds of things. You're not off to a good start. <laughs> yeah, that's right. And another another doctrine that I think um, is needed is the doctrine about the um, objectivity of morality, hmm. right? Because uh, if... Uh, uh, morality is all subjective, then you've got a huge problem with respect to sin. What is sin, right? It's yeah. just whatever you come up with uh, and those kinds of things. And so I think those are some certain things that are really important like that, I think. Yeah, absolutely. You know, that's why we got to be very, you know, slow to speak, quick to listen, because you can find yourself when you're not as as rooted in a, in a topic or a, a, a conviction or something you would you've been pretty hard on, you got to be careful not to then move the goalposts to try and suit your, suit your needs, suit your desire, mm -hmm. because that in of itself is an inconsistency. And at, at bare minimum, whatever it is that you're, you're, you're standing on, so long as it, it has biblical application to it, stand, stand on it and stand in, stand in your conviction. And don't be afraid to stand in your conviction. But at the same time, you, you got to really be gentle. And this is where I believe this is where the doctrinal studying and the relational uh, approach come, come together beautifully, is you got to find that middle ground where you can have the tough conversations, but you don't put it in such a way that is, is not leaving a person room to come to that conclusion with the work of the Holy Spirit, with study, for for themselves like they're mm -hmm. and, and this is something that we spoke about in a previous podcast about deconstructionism you know you see a lot of people that are going that certain things like this have led them to a deconstruction of their faith mm -hmm. and that reconstruction the guiding of it has to be rooted in the word not a not an opinion not even on personal just personal experience it's studying the word with with people that love god and love his word and as you go through that process, allowing things that you might have, uh, have said, this is a salvation issue, or this is just a doctrinal issue, or this is just a conviction, allow the Holy Spirit to do what the Holy Spirit is going to do in, in unpacking those things. And, you know, it, 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 I think it really applies, again, Scripture is our, is our foundation for everything. And so in Romans 14, where it talks about not causing, you know, your brother to stumble, this is, and I think in all of this, this is where I would sit on, this is where I stand on, is therefore let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother. I know and am persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself, but is unclean for anyone who thinks it's unclean. For if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you are no longer walking in love. By what, by what you eat, do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. So do not let what you regard as good be spoken as evil. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. So then let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. And I think that is so crucial. Mm -hmm. 
let us pursue what makes for peace and mutual upbuilding. Yeah. I think of these these vaccines, whether you're going to get it or you're not, yeah. pursue what makes for peace and mutual upbuilding. If I look at someone who's gone and got a vaccine or someone who hasn't, and I'm just like, ah, oh, you shouldn't have got it or, ah, oh, you should get it. And you're just, you're not loving people and this and like, now I'm, I'm creating more division yeah. rather than, than looking for an opportunity for, to, to, to pursue what makes, what makes peace because you now have people so divided and now we're about to run into another federal election <laughs> and it's just, you know, it's going to start all over again. All of a sudden, people that were have been cool, now there's an election. So I just, I, I probably won't log into Facebook apart for, apart from doing things for apologetics for yeah. a period of time because I just, I just, I see so much division, not even from non-believers within the church that come from this position. Yeah, I think, I think the problem often is that kind of the shrillness of the conversation or the voices, yeah. right? And and we just really have to remember that even the heretic, if you will, bears the image of God. And the bare yes. minimum that you have to do is show that person decency, yes. right? Um, now, I, I make the distinction between decency and respect, right? So you don't, respect, I think, is something you have to earn, um, yes. But decency is the bare minimum that you have to show to people. Absolutely. So you don't have to respect that person, but you have to show decency to that person. I always found First Peter 2 really interesting. You know, there's that passage about submission to authority, mm. right? And and, um, and this comes, the, the context is a little bit different, but I think this still applies in terms of our demeanor towards other people. Now, this comes in the context of Paul just telling his audience that you are a holy nation, right? You belong to God, those kinds of things. And he almost, it seems almost like he's preempting it because that might raise the question, oh, then does that mean I don't have to obey the government or whatever? Um, But Peter says, you know, be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution. Now, Peter, of all people, uh, would have known, having seen Jesus you know, be killed, he would have understood, you know, you don't always follow the government, right? Yeah, right. But here's the interesting thing. First Peter chapter 2, verse 17, he says, honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, and honor the emperor, mm-hmm. right? So even when you, you know, have to disobey the government, right? You honor everyone, you love the brotherhood, you fear God, and you honor the emperor, Yeah. right? And, and so I think this could um, apply to our personal relationships, too. When you're talking to the quote-unquote heretics, right, you still honor everyone and love the brotherhood and fear God, right? Um here, honor the emperor might might be the wrong context here, but you know what I mean, right? Always yeah. show that decency. And I think if we can do that, we're going to be able to have a lot more productive conversations about where we differ in terms of what we think are primary issues or secondary issues. Well, there is a level of honor that doesn't require my agreement. Mm-hmm. I don't have to agree with you to honor you. 
and like you said, that decency of just, hey, let's let's have these conversations and let's be okay even walking away from these conversations and still not agreeing, but being able to say, you're yeah. an image bearer. Yeah. You are an image bearer. And as we as we chatted about, you know, convictions and and as as Steve said so eloquently, that what may not necessarily be a doctrinal issue, but one of primary and secondary, there a lot of what people may be looking for may come through conversation with those that disagree. Mm-hmm. <laughs> with those that you is not within your echo chamber. And I can promise you, more often than not, you will benefit from having a a conversation with someone you disagree with versus trying to surround yourself with only those who agree. Yeah. Well, that, that about wraps us up for today. Thank you guys so much for joining us today on the AC Podcast. The AC Podcast is a ministry of Apologetics Canada. And as such, make sure to like and subscribe on all of your streaming outlets so that you never miss an episode. If something that we said today challenged you or something you even disagreed with, feel free to reach out to us. We would love to have a cordial conversation. and interact with you on on social media thank you once again for joining us join us on our next episode when we have more things to talk about as always love god love people bye for now